I'm going to minister something tonight, and I need you to take time and follow it, because it might be something a little different than what you've heard out of me in times past. Not different in the sense of opposed to or like a new course. But you see, it's God's intention in our lives that all of our lifetime we should be learning and growing and coming into a new set of experiences which will shape or mold some inner part of us so that we will finally end up at some place of destiny that God has intended that we should come to. Now, the majority of all people never find that place of destiny for themselves because they stop their growth pattern. Now, let me explain something so you, you understand this. And there's a rule, a principle here. And then once I announce this principle, I'm going to ask us all to pray, and you meditate on what I'm saying here tonight. I think it can transform a lot of your lives. The principle is this, that when I am a child, I grow because I must grow. I have no real choice in the matter. As long as I eat food and uh, don't have any debilitating diseases or something like that, I must grow. My mind will grow. My body will grow. And then I come to a certain place, and in the world, the world says, you are now grown. Now, what they mean is, physically, you're grown. But the fact is, you will never stop growing unless you will it at some point in your life. Now, the second part of your life, once your body is grown and your mind is fully grown, then what you're to grow in is experiences. You're to grow in your knowledge of something. And that knowledge is the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most people in this world don't know that. But there's a growing that is to continue after we are grown. But that growing is almost like a voluntary growing. I can will to cut it off at some point, and whatever point I no longer wish to experience pain, whatever point pain becomes more frightening to me, then the desire to grow or the desire to know, at that point I can will to stop growing. And the point I stop growing is the point I start dying. Or as a matter of fact, many people are already dead when they will to stop growing. And each of these experiences we come into, we come into them without a knowledge of what will be there when we get there. For instance, when I reach maturity, along comes a girl, my wife now, and I decide to get married. But I don't know what marriage will hold. We all sit down and we say, well, our marriage will be different, won't it? We'll never argue, we'll never have problems, we'll never have troubles, we'll always do this, oh yes, yes, we will, and so forth. But we find out when we get married, along with it can come all kinds of struggles and trials and testings and temptations. And those of you that know our story, know Daisy and I were separated for nearly three years, and then God brought us back together and worked a great miracle, restored our family, just did wonderful things. But now you see... If we could have looked ahead and seen that far enough ahead, say, I don't think it's worth taking that kind of a risk for. See, then you say, I'm not going to, in other words, the pain or the fear of pain is greater than my desire to go on growing. But I'm going to tell you, now that the pain has been endured and the experience is gone, and I look at what God has worked in my life through this woman and the children she's born into my home and the wonderful relationships that have come out of that, the pain is nothing. 
compared to the glorious thing that comes as a result of enduring and going on in that experience. See, then children come into the world, and that's another set of pains and troubles. Like they say, when they're little, they step on your toes. When they're older, they step on your heart, and that's certainly true because it's heart pains that you suffer. They get themselves into troubles and problems. They come, oh, Dad, Mom, I don't know how I did this. I, I should have listened to you, but now I'm in trouble. Can you help me get out? You think, oh, will it never end? Will it never end? See, but of course, it does end at some point because they also mature in their own way, and they come into their own set of struggles and troubles. Now, in church life, in Jesus Christ, the same thing is true. We come into Christ, we're born again. Now, in the beginning, we grow because we must grow. We're not growing because we're saying, I will to grow as a Christian. We're just so caught up with Jesus, and we're, oh, the Lord, and it's wonderful, another chance to go to church and service, oh, praise God, we're going to go out on the streets and witness now, and now we're going to do this for Jesus, and this, like this, and hear the words being fed to you, and you're eating it and taking it down, you're just growing like this, and oh, you've got troubles, oh, praise God, the Lord knows all about it. But little by little, the level of pain begins to mount, and the experiences that God calls you on are no longer the, like a child, see, he's like this. And then we come to that mature place, and someplace along the line, we will individually and we will as a church say, I don't want to endure any more pain. And at that point, the church sets into a mentality, and we as humans set into a mentality, and the growth stops. And then we just start going around and around and around and around, and we're waiting to leave this earth like an older person is waiting to leave this earth until see, that's the principle. All right, now let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. I want to tell you something that's in my heart. Heavenly Father, tonight we come to you because if any of these struggles or problems are here, we want to be renewed in the spirit. We want to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and our hearts and our lives. That, Lord, what we want to do is pursue hotly after you. Lord, as the doe pants after water, we want to pant after you and cry out after you and, Lord, follow you so that as our Lord Jesus walked along and he is walking along now in this earth and in us, Lord, we want to follow along after him and experience that which he intends us to experience. Now grant that to us, precious Father. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, now, some time ago, as a matter of fact, this has been building over the space now of about four years there has been coming to me a series of prophecies. They've come at different places and different times, and usually totally unexpectedly. Now, normally when I go to any meeting, that is like a conference or something like that, I expect prophecies to come forth, and they'll say things like, you know, listen to this man as he ministers, which I expect that's the Word of God being sent to prepare the hearts of the people to hear the message and so forth. That's a normal enough occurrence. But occasionally in these meetings, some unusual kinds of prophecies will come forth, and generally they're centered in on me personally. Now, it's been going on for about over five years, where some person will come to me and say, Brother, I feel I have a special word of the Lord for you. And these are always words of encouragement and revelation of the Lord's plan in my life. Now, they're not directional, and we have to be very careful about directional prophecies, where a person comes and says, Thus saith the Lord, you're supposed to go to Africa and do this and uh, so forth and take a one-way ticket, don't come back. And uh, See, you have to be very careful of those kinds of directional prophecies. Unless you already know that in your heart and it's merely confirmatory, it can be very upsetting and prophets should not get into that kind of business at all. But there's another type of prophecy which is revelatory, where the Lord merely says, this is something that I'm going to do in your life or this is what I'm working or this is what will happen. Well, now, when we were back in Laconia, New Hampshire preaching to a minister's conference there, a brother came up who has been well-recognized among that group of people as a prophet. 
people have said that there's never anyone that has ever found any of his prophecies to be wrong. And he came up and asked if he could say a word to me, that he felt it was the Lord. And he began to prophesy. And he said things like, because you've been faithful and so forth, and I thank God for that, because I have tried to be faithful to the calling of God. Then he began to say like this. He said, God will cause you to go where no Christian has gone before. See, now, then he said something else that's kind of cute, I thought, and the Lord always has this. And uh, my wife was sitting over there, and she's saying, where no Christian has gone before? Where's he talking about? Someplace in Africa or, you know, South America where no, nobody's ever been there with the gospel? And says, I hope he says he's going to take some of the brothers uh, with you and so forth and so on, you know. And he said, and you shall take your beloved. She shall go with you. And I said, oh. <laughs> Anyhow, well, maybe the Lord's talking about some place in Africa no one's gone. Because I've talked about that, the gospel going into all the world, and I believe that may well, may well be the meaning of the prophecy. I don't know what it really means. But another bro brother spoke to me just recently, and he said, Jim, did you ever understand it to mean maybe this? That Jesus said, the works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works than these shall ye do, because I go to my Father. And those greater works have never been done. And he said, it may be that the Lord is saying that just like you stepped through a door years ago when he told you to step through it and many would go through after, he said it may be that right now God is saying you're going to step through a door again and those great works are going to begin to take place. Well, I say, okay, maybe that's the answer. See, I don't know. I don't have that word from God. I only have the prophecy. I believe it's of God. Then recently I went to a conference with Charles Schmidt was the head of it. Now, he's a well-known Bible teacher back east. He's not so well-known out here, but... Went to this meeting and met a brother by the name of Erskine Holt. Now, I believe you'll be meeting him. He's had a profound effect on some of the brethren, just come from a conference where we've invited him to speak, and he's had a very powerful effect on uh, those peoples. I thought he would. I believe he's an apostle sent from God. And when I was back in this conference in Milwaukee, he had a word for me from the Lord. He was preaching that night, and he just stopped right in the middle of it. He said, Jim Durkin, come up here. He said, I've got a word from you from God. And I uh, did come up, and uh, he began to prophesy over me, and some of the other prophets gathered around. And as he prophesied, they began to prophesy. And it was quite a dramatic experience in my life. Now, what he essentially said is, as you have sent many out, now God will send you out. So, In other words, I'm preparing you, and now you're going to go with a special message. And I believe that is exactly what is taking place. But now a peculiar thing happened to me. As I raised my hands to worship the Lord, I felt a strange experience. In my arms, and my hands, began to be a kind of a low-key kind of vibration, like, and I put my hands down because it's quite strange. I mean, I looked at it like this, you know, and they're still prophesying over me and praying, and I'm hearing it, but I'm kind of, what is this, you know? Then I put my hands up again, as soon as I did, there's this, not like electricity, not like, vibrations or tingling, it's almost like... Now, I can't tell you the profound effect that had on me. Something happened within me. It was different than anything I've ever experienced before. Now, a few times lately, when I've laid my hands on people to pray for them, the same experience started again. I put my hands out to pray, and then this... Now, as this brother Erskine Holt was prophesying over me what God was going to put into me, and he said a whole lot of things which I won't go into here, not necessary to, but this other brother, Bob Mears, who I've known for years, and I believe he's also a prophet, and he, the brothers around him believe it, he said, Jim, God is giving you the impartation of the miraculous that you prayed for for years. 
And I believe that that's what's taking place. It's not fully ready to manifest, but I believe it's already been imparted. Now, the right moment will take place here shortly, and I believe that will begin to be manifest. Now, let me say why I'm laying this groundwork. It's not just to tell a story. It's important, my way of thinking. See, I am never content to remain where I am. There are new experiences tomorrow. There's something more to be known in Jesus Christ. He is an infinite God, an infinite Savior, an infinite Lord. And too many of us, we come to a place where something has happened, it's good, it's fine that's taken place. Like, we have a number of outreaches and churches. I could spend the rest of my life just kind of going around and visiting them and preaching some sermons and going off to a preacher's convention. But I'm going to tell you something here tonight that God has placed something in me, and I want that something to be in you. I want there to never be a place where you rest on your laurels, where your, your level of pain gets so great, you say, I don't want any more experiences in Jesus. I'm quite satisfied with what I have. I'm married, and I have my children, I have my job, and I have a nice little church, and we have a nice little future, and we have a nice little pension, and we have a nice little... And we get all these nice little things tucked away, and the next thing we begin to surround our lives with painless experiences. And the only sad part that goes with that painless experience is that we lose out on the glorious experiences that God has for us down the road. Now, I want to tell you, I'm going toward what Jesus has for me. But I want you to know that my heart is bound up with your heart, and my life is bound up with your life. And I'm telling you, though I must go, and I must go toward whatever Jesus has for me, I tell you there will be no joy going there alone. I want you to go there with me. Now, I want you to hear, because what's happened down in this conference, this last elders' conference, was a powerful move. The ministry will never be the same. It can never go back to the old things. It can never go back to where it was a year or two or three years ago. That's all over. And so the very nature of the ministry itself will begin to change as the whole ministry begins to push into a whole new area of response from the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something he's calling us to say, come, my beloved, I have something now new for you to press into that. And we're beginning to move along those roads. Now, I want you to think about the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. I want you to think about his nature and how Paul was. I'm going to turn to Philippians, the third chapter here, and I'm going to read Paul's mind or Paul's mentality, and I want that to be your mentality. Then I want us to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, see something about his life and what God has to say about you. Now, Paul, speaking here in the third chapter in the seventh verse, but says, whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now he's saying, here's something that might have profited me mightily, and here's something that might have profited me. But he said, I have looked at what real profit is. And real profit is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Real profit is to know Him, not just to be known by Him. See, all of us have come to be known by Him if we are saved here tonight. So when I gave my heart to the Lord, I couldn't say that I knew Him. I had been introduced to Him. I had met Him. But I don't know Him. He knows me. He's known me from long before the foundations of the world, and He's known me from the day of my birth, and He's known every step and watched everything that I've done up to the time I was saved and down to now. But Paul said he wanted to know Christ. See, not just Christ to know me, but I want to press on to know Christ. So he said, anything that got in the way of that, I laid that aside for the surpassing greatness of the privilege of knowing Jesus. Now, notice what he said here. He said, but whatever things were gained to me, those I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ. I was able, what do you mean gain Christ? You're already saved. You gain Christ. No, obviously there must have been something other than the normal way we speak about gaining Christ. Well, well I've gained Christ and I've gained salvation. I know that if I die, I'll go to heaven. Paul saying, well, sure, I've gained Christ too in that sense. And I know that if I die, I'll go to heaven. I know that I'm saved. But he said, I'm talking about something of surpassing value, that all the things in this world are counted but dung in my sight, in order that I might attain to that surpassing value. See, now you must see there's something different here than salvation. He's not talking to a sinner here. He's talking to born-again believers that are filled with the Spirit. The Philippians were a very spiritual church. And he's talking about them, and he's saying, I count all things but dung, in order that I might gain Christ. All right. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. See, he's talking from the point of view of a saved person. But he's saying, as a saved person, I want to be in this position over here. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. All right, now you say, well, Paul knew Christ. He's an apostle. See, now, notice this amazing statement. This apostle of God is making, this man who has been caught up to the third heaven, heard the gospel directly from Jesus Christ. He actually saw Christ, not a vision of Christ. He was caught up into heaven and saw Christ. Now, here he is back down on the earth, and he's speaking to the Philippian church, and he's saying, I tell you that I desire to know him. All right, now, see, that puts us in an interesting position, doesn't it? See, that we use words very loosely. Oh, I know him, and I know him, and I... But he's saying, but you can come with me, my beloved, and really know me. But you've got to come along the same route that I came along. All right, now I say, once again, this element of pain. See, pain gets in there and say, I don't want that pain. I, I don't want that anymore. All right, now, notice this. How he ties this pain in. That I may know him. We say, oh, I like that. And the power of his resurrection. Oh, wonder if I could raise people from the dead and heal them, sickness, miracles, and so forth. And the fellowship of his sufferings, pain. Being conformed to his death, pain. See? Now, the two things are knit together. And I say the thing that keeps us from going on to know him and the power of his resurrection and all of the glory that it speaks about is this pain level. Now, when I was a child... I got to where I was 12, 13, 14, had what was called growing pains. I was growing way too fast. And, oh, my knees ached and my hips ached. And the gro- they say, oh, it's just growing pains. You'll go through it. Well, I wish I could have got rid of it. But I had to grow. I couldn't stop growing. Now, if I could have stopped growing, I might have said, I don't want any more of this pain. You mean if I stop growing, I won't have any more pain? That's right. If you stop growing, you won't have any more pain. Cut off the food. I don't want any more growing. I just live where I am right now. And a lot of us would be stunted down pretty low. But we can't do that. We get hungry and we eat and we grow. And the pain, oh, oh, the pain, the pain. But you keep right on growing because you can't stop. But as we get older in the Lord, we can say, I don't want any more. That's enough. And then we begin to back away. And now see, what has kept me moving on in the Lord Jesus Christ is not because I'm a glutton for pain, but I desire to know Jesus Christ. I want to know him. I want to see him. I want to hear him. I want to be taught by him. I want to be guided into all truth. I want nothing to stop me from coming to that place where when I stand before him, I can say, that's the one I've known all my life. 
I've come to know him. I've walked with him. I've talked with him. I, and the only difference is that the veil is taken away from my eyes, and I look and I say, there he is. That's the one. See, I've come to know him. Now, I want to know Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer, but I just want you to think about this. As I speak about that, how many of you have a longing in your heart to say, I want to know him too. I want to know him. See, I don't want to just live a Christian life. I don't want to just be a good church person. I don't want to just pray. I want to know Jesus. See, now that's where my mentality is. I don't ever want to stay where I am. I'm not content just to have a few churches sprinkled around or even get to be two, three, four, five hundred, or a thousand, or five thousand. And Man, there's churches all over the world. We can look at that and say, gospel outreach has done this. I'm not interested in that. That's only a name. I tried to tell you that's only a name or an organization by which we can hold property or by which governments recognize us or which makes it easier to get into a country and get out of a country, whatever the situation is. But that's of no interest beyond that. I want to know Jesus, and I want you to know Jesus, and I want you to know him in the fullness of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, the glory of his being, that you can know him. Now, let's read on about Paul, what he says. Now, here's how he got there. See, there was a, a way he thought about life. All right. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So in our living and our dying, we want to be conformed to Jesus. Part of that purpose and vision, isn't it? In order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I might lay hold of that. Now here's where you hear me often talk about your destiny. Your destiny. There's a destiny that God has for you. See, Now, when I read this, let this sink into you. That I, I press on. Now, he said, in order to do this, the only one way is to press. The word is shove. That I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, Christ Jesus is saying, I've got a hand on you for a reason. And the reason is that I want you to come and follow me because I have a destiny for you here. See? And Paul said there's only one way to get that, though. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the vile and take it by force. He said, I press on that I may lay hold upon that for which I was laid hold upon by Christ Jesus. Now, every one of you, see, if you can see that, if you can grasp it, you have been laid hold upon by Christ Jesus. But the only way that will become a divine reality, now, sure, you're saved. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about condemnation. That's way down the scale on what I'm talking about. You're saved. You're born again, filled with the Spirit. That's wonderful. But we're not talking about that. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, sure, that's great. You're born again. You're filled with the Spirit. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You're, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and He keeps on cleansing you. But He said, I want to tell you that each one of you have been laid hold upon by Christ for some purpose. You have a reason for living, a special reason. And your reason for living is not my reason for living. See, there's something God wants you to do that's completely different from but very complementary to what I'm to be doing in this world. I'm doing something which Christ Jesus laid hold on me years ago, that little hoopah Indian reservation way up on a hill when I was all alone. Jesus Christ came in that tent where I lay, and he laid hold upon me for something. And all of the intervening years, I've been pressing toward that. And he's saying, come, 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 come. See, no matter where I've gotten to, here's Paul, way down the line of his life. And here's him saying, I'm still pressing on for that which Christ has already laid hold of me for. Now, how many of you knew that in the very real sense, see, when we say you have a destiny, we say, oh yeah, we have a destiny. 
But when you read this scripture, do you see you have been laid hold upon by Christ for something very special? See, it's saying, Paul said, Jesus laid hold upon me. Now, he's got his hand upon Paul. And Paul says, I'm going to press in to find the fullness of whatever that is. I want to know what that is for my life. This is a very important segment of what I'm saying. How many of you understood what I said here? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you didn't understand it? Because I'll go over it again as much as you need. If you stumble on this point, you'll miss the whole thing of what I'm aiming at, my whole aim. All right, now go over it again. Just this one scripture. Not that I have already obtained it. All right, here he is, already an apostle, already saved, filled with the Spirit, already worked miracles, already established churches, thousands of people had been saved. See, now here he is talking, Philippians, a very spiritual church. He said, not that I have already obtained this. He said, or I've already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. What? Paul, you? See, well, Paul is saying this by the Spirit so that you and I, in our stage of life, I'm not where Paul was. You're not where Paul was. Paul has laid hold again and again and again and again of wonderful things in Christ Jesus where all kinds of wonderful things are working in his life. And then here's Paul standing there saying, but I sense in my spirit I have not got there where Christ is calling me to go. And he said, I'm still pushing on toward that prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. All right, now, then I want to say to each of us that are here tonight, let us not rest on our laurels or kind of lay back and say, well, this is much... No, let's get up again and say, hallelujah, I'm going to push on for that which Christ laid hold upon me for. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, all the pain, oh, I remember how that was back there, that was heavy, man. I don't spend a lot of time remembering how that was back there. You know, if I go over all the things that ever happened to me in my lifetime, I tell you, I sit around weeping day and night. That's what I've done. Oh, when that happened back in 1947. Oh, the thing happened in 1949. Oh, 52. That was a killer. See, I have no time to waste time on that kind of stuff. You know what I'm doing? I'm looking out there and I'm saying, Jesus, you've got something out for me there, and I'm pressing on after that particular thing. And I'm thankful to God. i got a wife that's pressing on just as hard as I am. As a matter of fact, I have to run to keep up with her sometimes. She's out there zipping along after the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God which is in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, that means mature, we've got a, a mind to think about this, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. In other words, what you've been taught, showed from the Scripture, don't lose that either, but press on. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, what does that mean then in terms of how the Lord sees us? See, all right, I'm saying he's laid hold of us for something. What is the idea? Why am I here, Francis? Now, you might ask yourself that question, and maybe some of you do sometimes. Say, well, why is he here? Well, I want to tell you that I never come to Alaska without a reason. I don't come it's just because it's my turn to come. 
okay, this is my turn, right? Okay, I'll go up there and I'll do my thing for two weeks or something. No, I do not. If I don't feel I should come, I won't come. And I did put this off at a period of time about a year ago, and I put this off about three, four weeks ago. Three, four weeks ago because I was not well enough to come, but I would have come anyhow had I really felt the will of God. I went to Canada at one time when I was very sick with cold and almost pneumonia. Went up there because I felt it was the will of God. God carried me through it. I did not come up here three, four weeks ago because I did not feel it was God's time. I think the convention had to happen first. I think what took place there had to happen first. Now I have something to say. That God is breaking through in a realm of the miraculous, a realm of the marvelous, that every one of you have a part in. Now, I want you to think about this Lord Jesus. And I'm going to read you a scripture. If you'd like to turn with me, turn to the book of John now. And we're going to read the last chapter here. And these are the very last words that John spoke. Now, think about this Lord Jesus. This is the disciple, this verse 24 of the 21st chapter. This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his witness is true. Now, John is speaking there by the Spirit of God. He's saying this is a true witness. Now, and there were also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. Now, a question, is this merely like a kind of a hype, you know, Christian hype, that, wow, I'm telling you about this Jesus. If I told you everything he did, you couldn't hardly believe it. I mean, all the things. Or is he really speaking by the Spirit here? Well, yes, we know he's speaking by the Spirit. And the Spirit is causing him to say something which has startled our minds. And that's this, that this incredibly remarkable individual called Jesus Christ on this earth, who is God in the flesh, God, the Son, came down and was born into a human body, lived in that human body, and the Bible says all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. Now, you understand what that means. Here's God that created the heavens and the earth and flung universes upon universes that telescopes can't even see, and we can't even imagine how incredibly complex and how multitudinous this is, and mystery so small that we can't penetrate it with our greatest microscopes, a whole world up and down around us. And yet the Bible says that God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, it said all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. And when he stood before these humans, these 12 individuals or 70 individuals or 500 or 5,000 or 50,000 or whatever God called at that particular point to hear, they were standing there looking in one bodily form, one human that didn't look much different from them. He didn't glow. He didn't float along on the ground. He just walked along like others. He got dirty like others. He had to wash like others. He got tired like others. He had to eat like others. This one individual Jesus, the Bible says, all the fullness of the God had dwelt in him bodily. And while they were standing there looking, when the God had created the whole universe, all of God was in this one individual. For the Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God was speaking to this world through his son Jesus Christ and he dwelt in him in all the fullness of that Godhead. Now, as those disciples dealt with Jesus, see John is saying, I suppose that if everything that Jesus did were written down in detail, what that simply means is this very ordinary looking individual would be going along talking about very ordinary things and then out of nowhere would come one of the most remarkable happenings. For instance, one minute, one experience they had, they were out on a sea and a storm came up. And Jesus was in the back of the boat asleep on a pillow. 
Now, this in itself is a remarkable thing. If you're out on the sea and a storm coming up and the water just flooding in on every side, normally no one is asleep in the back of the boat. It was an open boat on a pillow, but he's back there quite asleep. And they rush back and they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us or we perish. And Jesus stands up, this quite remarkable fellow. I don't know what they thought he would do. Would he stand up and say, all right, everyone man the, the bailing buckets now and begin to throw it out or let's pull harder, one, two, three, four, something like that, or he'd get them all organized. This very ordinary seeming individual, just looking at him, he was a man asleep. Then he does the very unordinary thing. He stands up and he says to the winds and the waves, peace, be still. And says immediately there was a great calm and they were at the place whither they were going. See, and John says, when he begins to think about these few examples that he's put down in Mark and Matthew and Luke and so on, what they put down. And then the Spirit moves on him to say, and I suppose that everything that Jesus did were written down in detail, that all the world could not contain the things that would be written about this man who the fullness of God had dwelt in bodily. Now, but that's a remarkable thing when you couple that with something else that Jesus said. Now, he said, now I'm going away. But he said, when I go away, I am not going to leave you comfortless. And he said, as a matter of fact, I tell you that it is expedient for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, then the comforter will not come. And the comforter will do a number of things. I'm going to read what that comforter will do. Turn your Bibles if you'd like to. Maybe John, the 14th chapter, will start there. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. All right, so now God is going to come from the place of being in Jesus to being where? God is going to come from the place of being in Jesus to being where? That's right, in you. But when I go away, what's going to happen? God is going to come in you. Now, a tremendous change has taken place here. See, I want you to see that you've been called to some high calling, and it isn't just to get saved. Well, I mean, oh, I, I'm saved. That's just like the first rung of the ladder, or I'm saved and filled with the Spirit, way down the line to what He's called you to be, that the fullness of God will dwell in you in some way that I'm going to explain here as we go along. All right, next thing. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is verse 26 of the 14th chapter. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, all these marvelous things that Jesus said, which aren't even written down, they're in the Bible, but they aren't all written down in the four Gospels. Those four Gospels, you can read through them in three, four hours. Do you mean in the three and a half years that Jesus was with them, that's all that he ever said and did? No, that's just a little tiny drop, just a little sprinkling of an example that is for us. Now, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to take the rest of the Bible and open this book up to us and begin to teach us all that Jesus said and did while he was upon this earth. I want to jump up to verse 26 of the 15th chapter. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, the 16th chapter says we're going to be witnesses. Now, that means not that we're going to witness of what we know, that the Spirit is going to work as us in such a way that when we speak, that speaking will be a witness. See, in other words, we will be so identified with God in us, the Spirit of God moving through us, that when we speak, 
It's like my wife is saying about that young man. She was listening to him witness, and it didn't have the right kind of form. She says, well, why don't you come out like, uh, tell him the first thing now, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then uh, we all need a Savior. The soul of sinned, he shall surely die. And then Jesus Christ came to the world to seek and save that which is lost. And then if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, see, in other words, here's the little form of how you get people saved. And that's a good little form. But that woman needed questions answered. That woman needed something her heart answered. And here's this young brother in whom the Spirit of God's dwelling, and he's blah, 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 just jumping all over my wife, saying, oh, my, my, what's going on here? But here's the Spirit of God saying, say this, say this, say this, say this, say this, and here's every question she has, just boom, 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 and the angel, oh, Lord Jesus, I need you. See, we're talking about we will be a witness, not just witness, like here's our little witness. We will literally be a witness, and then they're falling down on their face among us, and say, God is among you of a truth. The fullness of the Godhead dwelling in us. All right. Now, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. See, I have all the things that I've said to you in three and a half years, and we don't have anywhere near those down in the gospel. Just those things alone. He said many more things than those. Unless he repeated himself a hundred or a thousand times. But if that's true, then John wouldn't have to say, I suppose if everything that Jesus did were written down, then all the world couldn't contain the books that were written about him. See, no, he said all kinds and did all kinds of things that were in addition to those things. Now, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, and shall take of mine, and shall disclose it to you. Now see, there's something of tremendous potential here. Now Paul understood that. See, he understood those things. So he had an attitude toward the people of God, like I have an attitude toward you. See, it would be much easier for me in my natural mind to just simply say, folks, you've done an absolutely terrific job, which in fact you have. See, And I, I encourage you and I commend you in every way. But I mean, I could say you've done a terrific job, so you've done your share, forget it. Now all you have to do is go out and make money and have a good time and just uh, live it up and Jesus will be coming sometime in 1982 or 4, 6, 9, somewhere out there and then you're going to zip off and you'll hear well done. I'd like to say that, but I can't say that because I would be shortchanging and short-selling what you have been laid hold upon by Christ. He's saying, I've got something for you. Come and follow me, my beloved. See, and that's what I'm saying. You come and follow me. I'm going after him and I want you to come along right with me. We are going someplace together. Now, so Paul had an attitude about the saints, and he looked at them in a certain way. Now, here's this great minister. I'm going to turn over here to 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to give you the scripture. Once you see these are all scriptural things that I bring here, not just ideas or theories. Paul had a way of looking at the people. And then we turn to the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, to the 11th verse, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... So he's talking about building on this foundation of Jesus with different materials. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed by fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. See, now, what is a temple for? Well, who is supposed to dwell in a temple? God dwells in a temple. 
The Spirit dwells in a temple. See, that's what it's saying. And say, so you are the temple of God. Don't destroy that. So the Spirit must then withdraw or be in a place where it can no longer function properly. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. Now, that's what I had to do. My early ministry was taken up with great learning and knowledge. And all of it brought me to ruin. It brought me to separation of my wife. It brought me to separation of my home. It brought to the end of my ministry. It brought me to ruin. And then I said, Lord, now what I want to do is I want to know you. See, before, I just wanted to know doctrine. Now, doctrine's all right. You have to know it. But that's all I wanted to know. I didn't want to know Jesus. Now I want to know Jesus. I know doctrine. You get me on doctrinal issues, and I'll show you where the scriptures are. We're all over here, and you know. As a matter of fact, I know doctrine so well. When I was down in Guatemala, I took the brethren out. They wanted to know all about the end time, so I took them out and doctrinally proved to them that we're going up at the beginning of the tribulation, we're going up in the middle of the tribulation, and we're going up in the end of the tribulation. I proved all three of those things, though. They're still checking out. Now I said, what you better know is know Jesus, because if you know Him, whenever we're going up, you'll go. See, that's the important thing. All right. Now, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. It is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to... Now, look, he's talking to the Corinthians, and here, here's the minister. Paul is the minister, and he's saying to the Corinthians like I'd be saying to the Alaskans. All things belong to you. See? Now, who? A what? When? What's Paul talking about that belongs to you Alaskans? You Anchorageites. Okay. But I want to say Alaskans, because I know some people might be here from the valley or from some other churches or wherever, so I don't want to eliminate anyone. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul Paul belongs to you. That's what he was saying. He said, I belong to you. Or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. See? So, I'm here for your sake. I'm here to tell you something. I'm not here to get you to do something because I want you to do it, although I do want you to do it. But whether I want you to do it or not has nothing to do with whether you should do it. If I want you to do it alone, forget it. It might just be my personal desire. But when I read it out of here and say, listen, I'm telling you that Christ Jesus laid hold on you for something, and you should be pressing on to find out what that is that he's laid hold upon you for. See, that's my attitude of life. That's why all these years, when all I've seen other ministries blow up and collapse and ministers fall by the wayside and go down, somehow my wife and I have kept moving on. Because we're never satisfied to say, oh, we got it made, or we really did it now, or now it... I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just build churches. I don't want to just fill churches. I want to know Jesus. And I want my people to know Jesus. And I know one thing. I know you don't belong to me. I know I belong to you. See, that's a different thing. In other words, I minister. I minister. See, we're talking about Paul the Apostle. I belong to you. And we belong to one another, don't we? We're all brethren. We're all family. So we belong to one another. But my ministry, you're not here to hear my ministry. I'm here to lay it before you. See, I'm here to give you 
what God has placed inside me and to tell you that Christ Jesus has laid hold on every one of you for something very specific and very important. And the very purpose of all ministry is to bring you in to that place that Jesus Christ has laid hold upon you for. Now, if you can get that in mind, what it is. Now, let me begin to describe what that is. That Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, and I'll give you some more scriptures here to show you this, but I'm going to lay it out for you first, and then I'm going to give you the scripture that shows it. Jesus Christ, when he was here on this earth, was able to do what he did because he had a body. Now, in that unique body that was given to him, and that unique person that dwelt in that body. See, the body is like the house or the framework. The body is not the man. That's merely his instrument of expression. Through my body, I am able to, my hands are able to express something. I'm able to express something very strongly and say it's this way, or we must understand this, or we must go with this. And so you see, it's this gesturing which gives also additional expression. Just as my voice or my face, but my voice, my face, my hands, the posture of my body, all of it is trained to express a point, something I mean. And so a person says, oh, this comes across as very strong. And then your emotions, and likewise, you feel the same thing and say, oh, I see, I see what he's feeling, or I experience that, or yes, I believe that, or that's true. See, because my body is a well-trained mechanism to help express what I'm feeling. I feel something inside, and then my body expresses that. My tongue says it, my vocal cords say it, my eyes say it, my muscles say it, my hands say it, every part of me says it. Now, Jesus Christ had a far more perfectly trained body than mine. See, my body gets in the way because of sin, and it blocks certain things the Spirit would do, and they don't really come out as clearly as they did in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why the Lord can only use me in a limited way. There's a certain part of Jesus, like the fullness of the Godhead was in him, and anything that God wanted to do or say could come out of Jesus at any time, in any way, and it always came out perfectly, so that when men heard it from Christ, you could simply write it down and say, this is the Word of God, because that's exactly what it was. But when I say something, it's never really perfect. It's limited. It's powerful at times. Sometimes I've seen it move whole people and change and transform their lives completely. But other times I might say something, and it's very limited in its effect on people, or it may have no effect, on, or it might even have a negative effect on people sometimes, because I'm in an area that I don't belong in, and I'm trying to do it, and it doesn't work at all. See, because there's only a certain part of Jesus Christ now, he dwells in me in completeness, but he can only use me partially. So when he was on this earth, he had a body. Now the Bible tells us that again in this earth he has a body. Now, what does the Bible say about his body today? So he's got a body in heaven, right? A body which was on the cross, but that's not on this earth anymore. That's in heaven. So that body is not speaking. Now he has a body. What is that body? It says you are the body. You are the body of Christ and members in particular. See, now, again, in no one of you is he in there perfectly. See? He's in there perfectly in the sense of completely in you, so you're completely Christ and Christ is completely in you, but he can't move through you at any time to completely say anything that he would say. But there's a part of him that's in me that can uniquely do a thing, but then it stops. Now, if the next part of the body is completely trained... And it's joined like, I've got a right hand and a left hand. With two hands, I can do things far better than just with one hand, see? And with two eyes and two ears and so forth, all of those are designed to make up a perfect or a complete body. All right. Now, as a Christian, as a minister, I am an apostle. 
I'm not also a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, deacon, elder, help, ministries, miracles, gifts, signs, wonders, tongues, interpretations, and everything in the church all rolled into one. I'm a very limited individual. Now that Jesus Christ said from the head, the whole body fitly joined together by that which every joint supplies ends up building itself up in love. Now turn with me to Ephesians 4 and put yourself in the picture because then you're going to begin to understand what's happening I think in this whole ministry is beginning to transform along these lines. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Now again, you've got to understand that all things are yours. See? And you are Christ and Christ is God's. So Paul, Apollos, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, Teacher, Elder, Deacon, all are yours. But they're there for your sake. But you've got to yield to that. You've got to submit to that and let that function work so you go on to what Christ has laid hold upon you for. All right, drop down here to verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers purpose for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. See, it isn't apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who build up the body of Christ more than anyone else. It's the whole body that builds up the body of Christ. Now, how many of you understood what I just said? It's not apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors that build up the body. Who builds up the body? The whole body of Christ builds up the body. Just like my body isn't built by, let's just say, my head, or my arm, or my heart, or my stomach. Every part of the body must work and function in order to build the whole body up and maintain it in a healthy place. And when any one part of it starts to go down, it has an invariable effect on every other part of the body. If my heart starts to get weak, my stomach will begin to feel the results. My lungs will be, if my lungs get weak, my heart will begin to feel the results of that. If my stomach gets in trouble, my lungs and my heart and my, if my leg gets in trouble, gets infected, pretty soon the whole bloodstream is polluted, my heart begins to, see, every part of the body must be functioning as it should. All right, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So they're sent then for to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. This work must go on. Now only pain will stop it when I say, I'm not going to struggle anymore. Fiddle on this unity of the faith. Fooey on this unity of the spirit. Fooey on this unity of the brother. I'm just not going to struggle with it anymore. I'm going to get off my own little house, just myself and my wife. And then pretty soon you can't stand your wife or your husband. I'm going to get off in my sewing room. Or I'm going to get off in my workshop down here. I'm going to stay down here and do my own thing. I'm going to work over here in my job. Or I'm going to go to my clubs. See, and pretty soon we get where we can't relate anymore. I, I don't want the pain of relationship. The pain's too hard. Sometimes it's hard to relate to my wife. And she's the easiest person in the world to relate to. But there's just times I'm kind of like I'm bummed out at something. See, I'm not going to relate to my wife. Oh, I just wish I could take a walk around the block for a month or so or something like this. See, and just, you know. I say, now that's not right. Then right at that time, my wife may come up to me and say, do you know that I love you? And I'm saying, oh, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Because if she tells me that, you know what I have to do? What do I have to do if she tells me that? Yeah, I have to say, and I love you. And I have to look at her, and then I have to give her a kiss and a hug and hold on to her and so forth. And so on. I go, oh, I don't feel like that. I don't want to do that. See? All right, now, do you see what I say? And I say, yeah, I'm not going to do it either. So she do you know that I love you? Yeah, I'm going out for a walk. See? Now, if I start that kind of stuff, then pretty soon the relationship begins to... The next time she's not so quick to say, I love you. She'll look to see whether I look in the right mood to say, I love you. See, she knows any time she tells me, I love you, she's going to hear, I love you. 
I'm going to make myself do that. If I've got a stomach ache, headache, backache, and toe ache, and bunions, and all other kinds of things, I'm going to say, and I love you too, baby. Give me a kiss, and so forth, and so on. Hold on to her for a while. God say, I think I'm going to take a walk, maybe, or something like that. But I'm going to make sure she gets a response too, because I've learned how to work through that relationship. Now, same thing when the Lord Jesus comes. He says, you know that I love you. Come with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, don't tell me that. I want to, I want to, I'm all bummed out, and I want to go take a walk. I, I'll see you in a month, or a year, or five years, or something like that. See. No, sir. I want to be in that place where I'm pressing on after the Lord Jesus Christ at all times. So when he tells me, I love you, I'm saying, I love you, Lord Jesus. Come with me. Yes, Lord, I'm coming. That's it. All right. Now, if you keep that in mind, then you begin to see where you say, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, where we all have the same knowledge. See, it isn't going to be, oh, talk to Apostle Durkin. He knows the Lord. See, and that meaning you don't know the Lord. See, no, we're going to come to that place. That's the real reason for this, that we're all going to attain to the same knowledge of Jesus, where we say, so when I talk about, and Jesus said this, and we said this, and they, oh, I know what you're talking about. He was telling me the same thing here. See, knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children. See, that little... No, no, we've grown up into Christ. No longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickiness of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. We're to grow up in how many aspects? All aspects. So every part of our life is totally grown up into Christ. Now, next step. From whom the whole body, this head, he's the head, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. See, I will never grow up into the fullness of Christ by myself. I'm going to pursue Jesus all by me. He says it never work. See, let me read this again. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which, what joints? Every joint. Now, the Bible doesn't say about the uncomely parts. What about the uncomely parts? It said they need the more abundant honor because we need them more. See, every joint. They all get rid of that bum. Throw that guy out. He's wrecking the service. That guy really is a Oh, every joint supply. We need those joints. I don't mean a person who rebels against Christ and just I want no more to do with Jesus and I hate God. That's a different thing. We may have to do something, disfellowship or something like that until he wakes up and comes to his senses. But I'm talking about people that are just kind of, and they don't have it together. The Bible says give them a more abundant honor. Love them. Take care of them. Be patient with them. Work with them. See, every joint supplies. According to the proper working of each individual part, so we've got to work it for the proper work of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, when that starts taking place, then something's going to happen on this earth. In Anchorage, or Palmer, or some other church fellowship, or some other city, everywhere that happens. And it can happen everywhere, and it can happen a thousand times or a million times throughout this earth. That's why he speaks to the church which is at Corinth or the church which is at Galatia, or the church which is at, see, the church there, not the church universal, the church in the whole world. He never speaks that way. The church which is at Corinth, see. All right, the church which is at Anchorage, or the church which is at your city, wherever you may be. You may be here from some other place. I recognize that. So substitute that name for yourself. We're not just talking about Anchorage. People here. Now he says, that 
church will be the body of Christ manifested. And then this same Christ, which was on the earth nearly 2,000 years ago, out of which at any moment there could come, in a moment of time, a determination to feed 5,000 people besides women and children. See, oh, well, I'm going to do it. I'm the apostle, right? <laughs> I, I do that. No, it may not be that way at all. See, maybe I get up, because I'm just a partial part of that, and I get up and maybe the Lord would use me to preach a sermon or give an exhortation. But maybe that isn't the fullness of the message. And then another brother jumps up and he's a prophet or a sister. She, she speaks and, man, there's a powerful thing comes out over here. And that's another part of the message. And then maybe a teacher gets up, an evangelist and a pastor. And maybe an elder has something to say in there. And God is using one, two, three, four. But that isn't all of it yet. And then another person gets up and says, I believe God's given me to feed all of those people out there. And everyone says, oh, well, what's going to happen now? And he begins to break like this. And see, now what we've got to be careful here is we don't get into this like, well, I'm the apostle here. I should be doing the miracles personally. Everything I'm going to be done here. And I'm going to say, well, I, I'm the chief elder in Anchorage here, and if this is an Anchorage meeting, I should be doing the things down here. See, see? And we get at this guy and say, oh, no, that'll all be gone because we'll be grown up into all aspects in Jesus Christ, and we'll be looking at that brother, and maybe he may be the one in whom we had to bestow the more abundant honor because he was the, kind of the weaker person or weaker sister. The next thing she's... And we're going to be standing back there and saying, Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. See, and then our communities are going to see Jesus Christ manifested in His fullness in this day and this time. Now you see, there's a whole lot riding on your attitude. There's a whole lot riding on what you want out of life. If all you want out of life is to just kind of go along with the world, the world's idea, get this, get this, have this, do this, and then you'll be happy. I don't want that. I laid that aside long ago. God gave me all I need of this world's goods and more than I will ever be able to utilize unless I just become foolish and stupid and I don't intend to do that this late in life and I pray God it never be so. But I tell you, there's one thing that I do want. I want to lay hold on Christ for that which Christ has laid hold upon me. But that isn't all I want. I want every one of you to be brought to that same place that I'm going to. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you want to lay hold on Christ for that which Christ has laid hold upon you? How many of you want to go on to know Him? How many of you want to go on to see in Anchorage or wherever your city is the fullness of God's body manifested in that place? That just like as that generation 2,000 years ago saw Jesus in all of His fullness, this generation today will see Jesus Christ in all of His fullness in your city, in your place. See, that's a goal worth striving for. Let me ask you a question. Bow your heads now in a word of prayer. Will you please? Heavenly Father, I pray right now for this precious people which have assembled here tonight. And Lord, I pray that they hear that, not my heart, although it is my heart, Father, but I pray that they hear your heart that you've laid hold upon them through Jesus Christ for something that has been determined before the foundation of the world that they should experience it and know it for themselves, that they would come to the place where they know Jesus. Not just that they are known by Jesus, but where they come to know the Lord Jesus personally. Where they come to know Him in all aspects and grow up in all aspects into Him. And that destiny, that place, that something 
that you've intended to speak to the world through them in perfection, that part of Christ which is to be manifest in their city, in their place, in their world, in their time, Lord, they may lay hold upon that for which they have been laid hold upon by Christ. Now, Father, I pray tonight for everyone that is here that it gets through to their own hearts, that they realize, Lord, that they have a gift that has been placed in them by you. It's been carefully placed there, Lord. It's not a happenstance. It's a very carefully thought out thing before the foundation of the world. It was determined upon when they came into this earth. They were separated of that gift from their mother's womb, even as Paul was separated of the gospel from his mother's womb. And it's a vital and important part in the whole plan of expressing Jesus in this world that the fullness of the Godhead may be in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray that they grasp that tonight. So at these meetings, as we go on from day to day here, Lord, when it's all finished, there will be an explosion of Your glory in them, O Lord. Now, I want to ask you this question. How many of you understanding what I said? And I tried to make it as clear, and I think it was clear. I think the Holy Spirit helped me to make it clear. You are the temple of God. You are the body of Christ, and a member in particular. You are the one for whom Christ has laid hold upon you. You are the one that Jesus said through Paul, all things belong to you. You! And you've been called to this time for that work. I wonder how many of you know it in your hearts and you say, I want to go on to know Jesus. And whatever that is that Jesus wants for me, I want to go on to know that. Would you stand up if you're here tonight and you say, that's what I want. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, that's precious. That's precious. I'll tell you why that's precious. Because I don't think you're foolish, and I don't think you're deceivers, and I don't think you're liars. But I want to tell you there would be many churches in this world today where if you preach a sermon like I just preached tonight, there would be any number of people who would not stand up. As a matter of fact, I can tell you the great majority of them wouldn't stand up. See, you know what it means when you speak like you've spoken tonight. It means that you're going to respond to the Holy Spirit. That He's going to call on you to move you out and to move you forward. And that's what's happening in this ministry. When those elders gathered down there out of Santa Cruz this time, their hearts were ready for something. They were crying out for a revelation, a new revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts and lives. And they got what they asked for. God broke in on them in a powerful and wonderful way. And what happened there can never be recorked. We can never go back and say, oh, we shouldn't have let that out. Man, that, that could create all kinds of problems. No, that can just create all kinds of glory. Amen. And I believe you standing up here tonight is the beginning of a powerful move. Let's take each other's hands here tonight. I'm going to pray for you again. Heavenly Father, how thankful I am to you for your spirit that has caused this group of people to hear your message. And Lord, to say that they know that they have a place in the kingdom that is not just some mediocre place or little place, but it's a very vital place in the coming together of the whole body. It is absolutely essential in the speaking of Jesus Christ into this community or the community to which they belong. And Father, they've stood up to say they want to be moved on in Christ. Lord Jesus, hear me tonight, I pray, and hear the cry of your people. Lord Jesus, begin now to move us on. Show us that thing for which you've called us, Lord. Let us no longer be afraid of pain or let us be afraid of some little idea of what may happen to us if we push to the limits. It's the fellowship of your sufferings, Lord, that we must also go as well as the knowledge of the power of your resurrection, Lord. And let us walk with those two things together, being fully conformable to your death. 
Oh, Lord, can we get to that place where Paul was? Help us to get there where he said he bore about in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ in those stripes and the suffering that he went through. But, Lord, he also bore about it the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that when he spoke, whole nations were turned upside down at the exhortation that you gave through him. Now, Father, I pray that this beginning of messages tonight, Lord, will completely revolutionize the hearts and lives of your people so that when we're finished and go away from here, Lord, they will have moved on to another realm altogether. We ask this in Jesus' precious name.